Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot. Hey, I'm Drew. And I'm Derek. We're on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore. We enjoy connecting leadership concepts to story contexts because it sticks to our brain better. You can find us at wondertourpodcast.com. All right, let's get into it. I'm excited for today's show. We're going to be switching gears a little bit from like the Marvel Star Wars action scene. Derek, what are we touching on today? We are looking through, just digging through Pinocchio. Um, it's a Disney classic. It's a classic from, uh, I know, my childhood, and I'm sure it is one from your childhood as well. Is that right, Drew? Yeah, absolutely. I had all of those Disney movies on VHS tapes and remember watching them all vividly. Now they look fantastic when you watch them on Disney Plus, and they got some like AI upraising that's going on there. You got like pretty defined edges on them. But no, that 1940s animation is freaking awesome. It just, when you're watching Pinocchio and you're seeing like Honest John and he's like doing these like, you know, trying to pull one over on people. It's like the way the animation works. It's so believable, even though it's this like over the top cartoon. Yeah, I really enjoy it. And I, I love that classic. That's whatever that feeling is when you watch it is the feeling that I get when I go to Disney World. It's exactly the same feeling. And it's just this this utter classiness. Um, and it's it's that there's also, it's like get ready to learn some lessons and learn it in a fun way and have it really, like we, what we were saying with Wonder Tour, right? Sticking in your brain. I mean, talk about nostalgia, right? And uh, that's what Pinocchio stirs up in me. So, hey, why don't we go through the uh, the story and kind of talk through and see what pops out. Yeah, well, I do want to mention here that I know some people might be tempted just to turn this off because they're like, oh man, I was hoping that they were going to be talking about Interstellar or something like that. Don't worry, we will be talking about Interstellar next week. But I would encourage you that these movies are actually pretty awesome if you go back to them. Um, I was even, I don't know how, my Google News Feed or whatever was telling me today, you know, Steven Spielberg had an interview where he talked about his top 20 movies and there was some... Uh, I was just reading some commentary on it and I was looking through him and I was like, man, he's got in here. He's got Fantasia and he had Dumbo. I was like, wow, he has two of these like Disney cartoons from the 1940s. I think I don't know if both of them are actually from the 40s, but they're around that era. So even Spielberg thought that these were really fantastic movies. So I think there's Dude. really something in here for everybody. Yeah. Dumbo is a lesson in limit breaking. I want to get to that <laughs> one at some point. I love that movie. And yeah, well, I mean, if you think back, just think about how these things inspired you. Right. Um, I, I was taking lessons when I was like five years old. I'm telling you these things, they are so good, but, uh, I'm ready to jump into it because I, I love this story. So. All right. I'll get us going here. So this is kind of a fun story. It just gets started with Geppetto, this like wood craftsman. Um, he's making, you can see all these creations that he's got in his house. He's got the the cat named Figaro that just this jolly little cat that hangs out with him. He's got some, he's got this fish in the bowl. The fish I'm sure has a name, but I don't know what yeah. it is. Leo. Oh, Leo. There we go. Thank you. Leo. Derek. 
Cleo. Cleo. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I should have been on top of that. I love Cleo. <laughs> yeah. So, like, but uh, he doesn't have like, a. There too. <laughs> Go ahead. No, he doesn't have a. He doesn't have a child though. So it seems like Geppetto um, is just longing for a child. And then we kind of zoom in on Pinocchio, who is this this puppet, this marionette. Um, and we have this scene where Geppetto kind of like, you know, prays or hopes or something that uh, that Pinocchio would become a real boy. We have then the the blue fairy, Derek. Talk to me about the blue fairy and how the blue fairy comes in. Well, I mean, the night clears. Uh, it's kind of weird, actually, just before that, uh, Jiminy Cricket, who we hadn't mentioned till now, um, <laughs> you know, it's just this cricket guy who kind of, he's like a, he's kind of like a drifter actually. Uh, <laughs> but he, uh, he makes his way into Geppetto's house because, um, that's the most interesting thing in the town. And, um, so at some point he ends up, you know, kind of falling asleep or whatever. Right. And he tries to at least, and, uh, all the clocks are you know, uh, clicking and clacking and clicking and clacking and, and, and Geppetto is snoring and everybody's making noise while they're sleeping. And he says, quiet. And then this is when we see the, uh, the, the fairy godmother, uh, come in on this star, right. And she appears in the room and she had heard, uh, Geppetto's honest plea, right. And this is a guy, if you just size him up right off the bat, you look at the way he treats his pets. You look at the way his house is ordered. Um, this is a man who takes great care, right? And he is a, a very caring person, and he deserves this, right? And I think that's what's on the fairy godmother's mind as she comes in and she's like, you know, I'm going to make this uh, this Pinocchio puppet into a wooden boy. So not a real boy. Not yet, right? Um, spoilers for later, right? Um, but you know, she brings them to life and, uh, and then, and then Geppetto, he's got this funny way of, um, like acknowledging reality, but it doesn't quite set in yet. Have you noticed that Drew? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Geppetto. Oh man. He, he just is such a grounded person and you just like almost wish that your life was like Geppetto's. Because you see, like, how joyful he is in the moment, how skilled he is at his craft. And he's he's really, while he's not the main character in this in this movie, he's awesome to kind of look at and be like, wow, what can I learn just from Geppetto? Yeah, he's this ground level dude, right? And he, it's funny because he just kind of accepts, he's like, oh, it's Pinocchio. You know, and then he starts to, like, realize, like, so by default, he assumes that whatever he hears, whatever he sees... You, you know what I mean? And I don't I, I can't quite put my finger on what that is, but I, I find it very humorous. Right. Um, and I think that's what we all you know, we kind of have that reaction when we see him when we think, oh, Geppetto, you silly goose. You know, that's kind of the way we think about it. And I think that that is a very endearing like quality um, because he just kind of like he's very flowy. He goes with the flow. Um, and he's just, like I said, just really caring. It keeps going back to his caring character. Um, but let's keep going in the story. You can see it, and, and you can see it in when he provides a meal, even for the pets, right? It's like the jump the forward a little bit, right? But when he provides a meal for the pets, like all the pets are taken care of. Cleo's eating a freaking birthday cake inside of the water, and yeah. there's like a T-bone <laughs> in front of Figaro the cat. It's like yeah. he's 
care of everybody in this world. And Geppetto is just like this static goodness. And this good his goodness is getting like blessed by the blue fairy is essentially what's going to happen. But obviously, because Pinocchio is being made a human, jumping where we're going to go forward, he has free will. And so Pinocchio is going to have to play a part in this story as well. So the wood boy Pinocchio, the next day, um, Geppetto outfits him with everything he needs for school. And he's like, you're going to go to school. And Geppetto being kind of like this, this guy's like, he's going to have to make his way in this world. He just like sends him out. And he's like, you, you know, just follow the other kids. And Pinocchio, his head is just like hollow at this point, literally and figuratively. He just is like <laughs> happy-go-lucky, ready to go. And of course, he believes the first schmuck that he runs into who tells him like, oh, you haven't heard of the shortcut? And that's Honest John. So... There's a couple interactions that we have with Honest John here. The first one, so, so I think the point is here is the repetition of it. The first one, he gets convinced that he's going to be an actor. <laughs> Tobias from Arrested Development. <laughs> I am going to be <laughs> an actor. <laughs> Sorry if you don't get the joke, but oh, that's man. what he wants, right? He's like, he thinks this is like the world's highest profession at this point. Not, No offense to actors at all. I love actors, but... He's convinced that this is so much better than just going to school to learn. And, of course, somebody's trying to pull the wool over on him and really trying to sell him as a slave, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and that's I think it's good for you to highlight that, that no matter what would have floated by, I think he would have chosen it. Right. Um, and we'll get back to that because I think it's it's really good to examine um, how he allocated himself to things. Right um with without any kind of a filter so we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit um and Jiminy Cricket at this point is really just kind of playing catch up right so one of the things that we didn't quite mention up to this point is that Jiminy Cricket was uh given the role of playing Pinocchio's conscience right and this is a very uh important role now for the sake of the wonder tour here we're going to look at Jiminy Cricket as uh Pinocchio's mentor right and it's not that Jiminy Cricket has the experience of being a human, but he does come into the story with a significant background in knowing right and wrong. Now, I want to say also he cannot really articulate this. And I think that's one of his challenges is that he's not able to articulate uh, right and wrong. And then he tries and fails a little bit. And it's because explaining right and wrong and giving somebody discernment uh, in one fell swoop is darn near impossible. <laughs> um, you know, it's very hard to put that into words, uh, those experiences, you know, I, again, I've, I think I've said this in a prior podcast, but it's like, you know, wise man's the one who's made a lot of mistakes, you know, and that's kind of uh, a thread you see pop up here again, which is making a lot of mistakes is kind of that way to freedom. So, um, yeah, so Jiminy Cricket, he's trying to catch up. Right. And so Pinocchio is on his way to school, runs into Honest John. What happens next, Drew? Yeah. So he gets uh, he, he becomes an actor, but it's more uh, it's more made fun of than he is a prodigious <laughs> character on the scene. So um, he, he the, the show manager is this kind of nefarious guy who's trying to take advantage of everybody. You get that right from the get go. He like stuffs him in a birdcage and won't give him any of the proceeds from what he just the show that he just put on even though he made a lot of money on it and at this point pinocchio starts to have regret for what he's done and finally jiminy catches up 
So Jiminy starts um, trying to figure out what's going on and trying to get him out of there. And at this point, the blue fairy shows back up on the scene. And this is when we get like the famous Pinocchio's nose growing. Um, when the blue fairy's asking Pinocchio what happened and Pinocchio is trying to cover it up and Jiminy's kind of trying to like tell her but doesn't know how just like you were saying so the two of them really get themselves in a bind and luckily the blue fairy gives them a pass and and sends Pinocchio's nose back to its normal size and then lets him out of the cage yeah I mean I think it's hilarious how you know Pinocchio he doesn't even actually admit uh what what the details were he just like okay, you got me, you know, after his nose grew from, you know, just the nub to, uh, it had a bird's nest. And then I thought it was funny as the final lie, put it over the edge and caused it to wilt, uh, which was hilarious to me. And so that the leaves all turned brown and the birds were like, what the heck's going on? You know, and the birds flew away or whatever. I forget exactly what, you know, if they blew away, but you, you know, they, they basically abandoned ship at that point. Cause they're like, uh, this nose lie thing is getting, it's going nowhere. <laughs> so I got to get out of here right now. Um, and so they get away from Stromboli. That's the, that's the bad dude, right? That it was exploiting him. They come back to town and who do they run into drew? Honest John, once again. So somehow yeah. again, Jiminy is just behind Pinocchio and Pinocchio, honest John is already onto his next scheme He's trying to find little boys and bring them to Pleasure Island. And while that sounded really bad, it also sounds really bad in the show. Um, and he's trying, so he immediately is like, what luck? Pinocchio's walking by again. This guy's so gullible. I'll catch him again. And Jiminy sees it this time, but he isn't able to stop him in time. And really, it, it, it's so funny because there's just this image and remember this is all cartoons so everything's just super symbolic it's like the symbolism's a little more veiled in modern media um but in this type of cartoon right everything is just so laid out for you and you just see honest john as this kind of as this evil character um and but he's stupidly evil he's not pure evil right we'll get to the pure evil later but the stupid evil is like tripping over itself all the time. It associates with like the dumbest character in the movie, the little cat that's following him around that hits him over the head with a hammer in a really funny scene and and almost screws everything up. Right. It's like he, evil cannot get out of its own way. Right. And but in the end, he ends up, you know, basically selling him off to the to the guy to take him to Pleasure Island. And he gets on this uh, what is it, a stagecoach. Uh, yeah, so they're all on a stagecoach. He's with a lot of other boys headed to the boat to Pleasure Island. Everything looks great, right? Um, as far as you know, the enticement aspect here, and because you could say want to entice these these boys to come to Pleasure Island, and um, so the boat looks fantastic. You know, you've got all these streamers and different things on the boat. Um, you know, those things like you see at kind of auto dealerships. Actually, it's kind of funny. But anyway, uh, you know, they end up at the the island. And the doors open and it's a carnival, right? And the first time I saw this when I was a kid, I was like, wow, this is so cool. Um, even I was impressed, you know, it was just a cartoon, but I was like, man, that looks like a lot of fun. But you kind of see the devolution in the background kind of going on where, you know, hey, step right up and punch some people and all this stuff, right? Um, and I love how it was shown, um, it's shown as shadows which I think are, is a very good way to show that. Uh, you can kind of see um, the silhouette of, of that kind of act, right? 
Um, and then some of the more uh, visceral things would be breaking things, you know, and as a kid, I, I mean, I was just like, I don't want to break anything. I mean, I don't want to do this, you know. And so I was even, you know, feeling empathy for, you know, kind of like who owns this stuff? Whose stuff is this, you know? And I was feeling bad when I was watching it because uh, I was like, you shouldn't do that, you know. <laughs> um, so it's very I mean, it's very powerful for children uh, to watch this, you know, and learn, you know, kind of yikes you know this is kind of crazy this is not what's normally done right so yeah so i think the pleasure island imagery is really interesting i mean it's just this land of you know fun and all of the immediate gratification that you could want and we end pleasure island segment really with this scene with uh with pinocchio and the kid that he met uh, Candlewick, I think is the kid's name, um, or is what they call him. And he's, they're in like a billiards hall smoking cigars. Lampwick. Lampwick. That's what it is. Lampwick. Lampwick. There we go. Lampwick. Yeah. And they're in this. Oh, <laughs> Candlewick. They're what in do this you hear hall. the name Lampwick? I don't ever, you know, it sounds like, like, that, uh, maybe some furniture polish or something like come and get your Lampwick now in 1995. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's some symbolism to that name there. Um, you know, Lampwick lighting a fire or something. But yeah, so he's they're kind of like all getting everything's messed up for them. They're having what feels like a really good time when suddenly Lampwick starts to grow these donkey parts. Right. He's got donkey ears and, and he's starting to become a donkey. And at the same time, you kind of get this cutaway and you see Jiminy, who's almost given up. He's like trying to follow Pinocchio, but Pinocchio is not listening to him. And he's just like, all right, screw it. I'm going to give up and I'm going to walk away and I'll find him later. And then on his way out, he sees that all of these children are actually being turned into donkeys that are being sold. And he's like, whoa, he's like, realizes that he has to do something immediately there. And he comes back and I want to note that his instinct kicks in at this point. Finally, he starts to trust his instinct. He finally starts to see that his instinct has been there the whole time. And what is a conscience without an instinct? Your conscience itself, right, has to trust itself, right? And and I I love how the conscience is personified, you know, through Jiminy Cricket, through a small little insect that nobody else can if you think about you go back in the story or whatever, notice most people don't notice Jiminy. They that one guy with the mallet, he tried to get him and he just happened to notice him. Um, so anyway, he's just kind of in the background all the time. I love Honest how John he never notices Jiminy once, does he? Who does? Honest John. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Swindler. No, he, never sees, yeah. he never sees the conscience. <laughs> that's right. He never sees the conscience. And I, and I think that's symbolic and it's also literal. And I think that's, that's a, a very, uh, uh, you know, resonating, uh, image there, you know, to, to keep in mind that, the guy didn't see him literally and he did not see him figuratively. Right. He doesn't have a conscience himself. Like he, he maybe does, but he doesn't listen to it. Right. Um, okay. So go ahead. Yeah. So to continue, um, Jiminy does at this point, Jiminy's, uh, Jiminy's kind of last ditch effort to convince Pinocchio succeeds, but really only because Pinocchio starts to grow the donkey features himself. So when he gets there in time and Lampwick's already turned into a straight up donkey, but Pinocchio hasn't yet, and he's like kind of grabs him and wrangles him out of there, and he's like, we're leaving Pleasure Island now, and they they run away, and at this point, we find out, you know, earlier in the story, we take creative liberties with how we tell this, um, Geppetto 
had gone out in search of Pinocchio because he didn't come home for dinner and was lost in at sea. Right. We have to remember that sea in ancient times and also in cartoons is going to be associated with like chaos, death, things like that. So the sea is very symbolic. The fact that he's lost at the sea, it means that he like dove into the chaos of the world and it swallowed him up. But he's like a shining beacon and Pinocchio is going to find him and together there's going to be redemption. And that's the story that we're following here. So finally, Pinocchio um, is listening to Jiminy. They're traveling together. This is how it was meant to be the whole time. And they make their way to the ocean and they're going to go find Geppetto. And they go back to Geppetto and Geppetto is gone. Oh, yeah, they and, do that too. <laughs> yeah. And well, I mean, it's, you know, he was, if you remember from the from the story, you know, again, going back and just kind of connecting a thread here, Geppetto was walking around in the rain, poor guy. Um, he just wanted to care for Pinocchio. He had not seen him since he sent him to school. And so they can't find him. And then finally they find out that he has gone out to sea looking for Pinocchio, out into the chaos of the world, right? Which I'd like to to note that I think any parent would be doing that. Right. That the, any parent would be seeking out the one child and really trying to find the one child, no matter what would happen to them, they would be doing that. And he takes Cleo and he takes Figaro again, uh, you know, with him as well, gets a boat, um, not a massive boat, but, uh, you know, a boat that could get him somewhere. And then they find out that uh, he had been swallowed by the whale Monstro. Right. Monstromo, Monstromo, right? Monstro, okay. Monstro the whale. I know that very well from the Kingdom Hearts games. <laughs> There's always Pinocchio in the early Kingdom Hearts games. Yeah, so they get swallowed by Monstro. And just to cut to the chase here, Pinocchio, you know, Jiminy's honestly like a little bit unsure because Jiminy's like a little grasshopper and like fish eat grasshoppers and stuff. So Jiminy, Jiminy's like, I don't know. And Pinocchio's like, we're doing it. Like we're going to jump in and we're going to save my dad or Geppetto, right? And so they jump in, they float around for a little while, and then suddenly they run into the monster, Monstro, and Monstro catches them as well. And lo and behold, they get reunited with Geppetto. It's an awesome moment, you know? And <clears throat> I think it's really cool when Geppetto sees Pinocchio and he kind of asks him about the ears. And this is the first moment where, you know, Pinocchio is not terrified about the ears anymore. He knows that things are turning around for him. He knows that um, the world is becoming right again. He may not be out of his current, you know, snare, but he knows that he's away from the bad guys now, right? And he's like, I don't care about these ears. Laughed it off, and it was genuine, right? It was the one thing about Pinocchio. I think is just so refreshing is that he is pure. He is as pure as you can get, and I think uh, it's just refreshing to see that in the world today, even in, what is that? 60 years, right? After the movie was made, I think that that purity is just, I love it. I just, you know, it's like the most, it's like a gentle spring rain or whatever. So <laughs> I think we might be 80 years after the movie was made, but yeah, you're usually, this is a math, not a mathematician, but very close ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> but yeah, it <laughs> might be 80 years. 1940, right? 
pretty sure it was yeah, 1940. No, uh, no, you're good. The point remains. I love the the purity of Pinocchio and, and, and just like how he interacts here with Geppetto. And and it's actually that the redemption comes through Pinocchio, right? But it only comes because of Geppetto's belief, because none of this is possible without Geppetto's belief. And as in a lot of um, stories, you know, the characters are might be in a good place at the start, but then they have to go through some trials. And at the end, they actually end up in a better place. And so that's kind of what Geppetto's, um, what the faith that he has allows him to do, right? He he want, he believes that there's more than this life, this cushy life that he has, and he's willing to brave the chaos and, and everything to get it. And so it's the defining moment. So let's stop at the moment here, Derek, for this this movie and talk about Pinocchio's saving grace that happens here. Yeah, I mean, I think that the coolest thing about this moment is that he doesn't take a second thought. He just says, we've got to make a fire. And Geppetto, in his uh, his reaction, it, again, comes up. You know how we talked about before about how he has like a an immediate acceptance. He's like, oh, OK, we're going to make some smoke, you know, and then he starts to kick in. Right. As he actually thinks about what's happening, he's like, oh, what will that do? That's going to make him mad. Right. And Pinocchio is like, I don't care. You know, I don't care. We're going to get out of here. Right. And so immediately in that moment, and I just love that that moment of change. And I think there are so many times where um, I, I can see uh, leaders take new directions uh, in their lives. Right. Where, you know, they just have this 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 moment like this where they're like, I'm going to do this. Here it is. And here's my plan. And they didn't really put a lot of thought into it. We've talked about this in past episodes about how you know, being forced to make a decision and acting quickly can produce this kind of change. So that's what happened with Pinocchio. You know, he decided we're going to make this smoke. They make the smoke. Uh, Monstro spits him out, right? Um, Monstro comes after him again, tries to get him, uh, you know, and they get into the cliffs and, you know, obviously get away. But this is this is the moment that makes Pinocchio and uh, takes him to, you know, becoming a, a real boy. And uh, so that's why we we are so focused on this moment, um, because we see a lot of application in this moment. It took bravery, right? It took yeah. courage to do that. Yeah, I think this really, um, it, it's the head of the movie, right? Of course, it, it's the climax of what we're seeing here. And everything has built to this. We don't have a lot of these moments in our lives, but we Everybody has some of these moments, right? These are these critical points, these junctures where you're forced to choose generally, you could even say, between succumbing to evil or complacency or you can overcome. And that's what Pinocchio does in this moment. And it seems almost like Geppetto has been sucked down into this darkness of Monstro. You know, the old phrase in the belly of the whale, right? You're in, you know, deep trouble. Um, you're and and. Pinocchio still has this hope and his hope allows him to keep thinking of new possibilities. And I think that is where the redemption narrative comes from, right? It's not, the, the redemption doesn't always come from within, but it must be internalized. It must be contextualized for you and for the people around you. And so you're going to have to figure out wh whatever you have in the moment at that time, like that's all you've got figure out what combination of those tools. It's almost like a video game somewhat, right? It's like, I got all these, uh, I got all these tools in my toolbox 
and I got to solve this puzzle. How am I going to solve this puzzle? Well, you, you know, some people are going to give up on that puzzle. You, that's they're just not ever going to make it through that. But overcoming feels really, really good, especially when it's your life, the only one that you have and you do overcome and, and you're able to learn from that and you're able to tell your story. You're able to impact others through that. You know, you might save others in the process and you might just save yourself so that in the future you can impact others lives. Yeah, when when you said uh you know the uh, that your the life that you have uh, it triggered something for me and I'm, I'm you know whoever listens you know whatever and knows this i mean you, you know i'm not the best with quotes right because I'm, I'm always like oh, you know um but uh you know the the best life that you have is the one that, sorry the best life is the one that you have right and i think um when pinocchio came into that boat right in the belly of the whale he um he came home and i think when you come home I think that's when redemption is most likely to happen. When you come home, you are you can essentially draw a line around who you are, what your values are, what you want to fight for, what is important to you. And that gives you the courage, that gives you the gumption to stick it out, right? And really come up with something like what Pinocchio came up with. Um, he was triggered. He was triggered by Cleo. He was triggered by Figaro, seeing those faces, seeing the recognition that they had for him. And they didn't ask him to do anything. They didn't try to distract him. They just said, you know, we love Pinocchio, right? We love you. And we're, we're glad at your home. Right. And, um, you know, I think that's, it's when you, uh, you know, also Jiminy, right. Jiminy was, obviously very overjoyed. So we had this like whole synergy moment. And I think that's when leaders are born. They realize what they are fighting for. They realize, um, you know, that there is, there's something worth, uh, you know, taking a chance for, you know, and they, they come out of that, you know, swinging. And that's what we see here with Monstro, right? We see that play out very well. So yeah, he's really at the crossroads there. And the question is basically, are you going to succumb and, and to a slow death or do you choose life? And he chooses the chance of life. That's what he, when you do that, like you said, that cements your values, that builds strong values. Those values really are your character. And that character is what's gonna guide you throughout your life and what's going to make things happen for you. It's really the outflow of your character. We. we at, at Wonder Tour, we are about developing good character, right? How you define good character will depend on you potentially, but we want to develop good character. There's a reason that humans love these redemption arcs and these these salvation arcs, right? Because there's there's a selflessness involved in it. There's a goodness in the character. That's the type of character that we want to have as leaders and that we want to instill in those around us. I mean, think about it. You're impacted by how Pinocchio acted there. You're even more impacted when you see someone in your life, perhaps a parent or a mentor or something like that, do something similar. Right. It, it just tugs on your heartstrings and it makes it cements those values in you. I love that. Now, let's take that as an entire backdrop to the whole mentor discussion. Right. So let's go in. Let's talk about Jiminy Cricket and what kind of mentor uh, he was in the movie. Now, uh, I want to start off with the fact that you know he's got the the right idea, right? He's got the right 
let's say platitudes recorded down and he can recite them. Right. And I'll just leave it there and see where you go with it next, because I, I want to hear kind of from platitude. How can you get to attitude? <laughs> yeah. And oftentimes, even for Jiminy in this scenario, right, you need a lot of encouragement to be able to do that. You need to have people who believe in you and you need to believe in yourself. You, you really have to be resilient. There's just going to be these concepts that occur over and over again while we're on the wonder tour and they'll start to form stronger bonds in our brains over time. But resilience is one of them. I remember watching a TEDx talk um, a couple of years back. Unfortunately, I won't maybe uh, be able to tell you about it here, but maybe I'll post the URL just to give credit to them. But they talked about how, of course, you know, in TEDx talks, it's always this is the number one thing. But it was how resilience is the number one thing that humans need, that leaders need. And that left an imprint on me. Resilience is so important. It's it's getting back up again. And and the values that you have are going to push that. And Jiminy has those values, right? He wants to see good done in the world. He wants to lead up with, with Pinocchio, another good human being who could positively contribute to society. And so he keeps on fighting, even when he gets knocked down once, twice, three times. And I think it starts with that moment with the blue fairy, right? The, the blue fairy transforms his clothing from that of like tatters, really, or a wanderer to, you know, somebody who looks pretty spiffy and, and Jiminy's pretty impressed. And he's like, well, can I add a gold star? And the blue fairy's like, like, yeah, you can, but let's see how you do first. And she like hangs that carrot out there and she's like, I believe in you, you can. You just need to prove yourself and you're going to have to go through that challenge. And that's really what this story is for Pinocchio. I mean, for uh, Jiminy is he's going through and he's proving himself and his value to the world and his skills as a leader. Yeah. And, and you know, if you see it, it, you see the evolution of trusting beyond the five senses. Right. And so at first he tries to really use five senses to kind of discern what is happening. And so if you think to the the show, I've got no strings on me, you know, that whole show, um, Jiminy thinks that it's over. Uh, everything's good for Pinocchio and walks away. And why is he convinced of that so easily? He looks at the five senses. He thinks nothing of maybe necessarily the motivations of those who could exploit Pinocchio. If you give one look to Stromboli, you know that the guy is a crooked path to take, right? But somehow Jiminy doesn't see that. Somehow he's blind to that uh, early on in the story. And that's that's his burden to bear as a mentor. And so thankfully, as you said, Drew, he's got this resilience and he sticks with the job all the times that, you know, especially once once Pinocchio ends up in the cage. And and how did he get into that uh, thing? This was such, so interesting, right? So Jiminy's like, ah, oh, well, I better wish him well. You know, he's still doing well. So that narrative took hold in Jiminy's mind. He allowed that narrative to control his actions. He allowed that narrative to control the projection that he thought Pinocchio was on. Um, I don't, you know, I would look for multiple occasions and multiple evidences before I would say someone's doing well, right? Um, just so that I could let my foot off the gas with them, right? If I'm thinking from a mentorship perspective, I, I want to know that 
you don't just want to hear one account. You don't just want to see a show per se. You want to see the substance. So not just show, but substance. And Jiminy missed the substance. He missed that the backstory, what was really going on, was that Pinocchio was being exploited by Stromboli. So he almost talked himself out of it. He's like, yeah, I'm going to go check on him. And then when he did, he realized that he was his initial thing, like, you know, saying, hey, this actor thing is not going to be a good deal. He should have went with that. He did not trust his instincts, and therefore he got derailed. And, you know, obviously Pinocchio suffered in that, in that situation. But um, it was a good lesson for both of them. I'd like to say Pinocchio learned his, but obviously he's so distractible, right? <laughs> Um, but we see Jiminy take a new direction. Once once Pinocchio goes off to Pleasure Island, I think at that point it becomes very visceral to him that you know Pinocchio is not on the right path. He's got history on Honest John. He knows what Honest John's up to. Uh, spoiler is not honesty. <laughs> um, you know, and so then that gives him the boldness, and that's what he needed. He needed to be able to trust his instincts. His instincts were right on the whole time. Once he got that track record, he got salty again at Pleasure Island, didn't he, Drew? Let's play out that that confrontation between him and Lampwick, right? Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, that's that's the moment when he gets his boldness, right? And he starts to realize, like, he believes in himself. He knows that he's right because sometimes somebody's going to speak that over you like the Blue Fairy did. And, like, I've had plenty of people in my life. I'm very fortunate um, for that. And hopefully I can repay it to others, you know, like my father and mentors that I've had, bosses that I've had who've really spoken that over me and said, like, you can handle the next big thing. You've got this. I believe in you. And sometimes it's like a little bit of a bumpy start still, though, even when they put you in charge of that next big project or something like that. You're like, whoa, like this is different than where I was before. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. But then eventually you figure out the right way to manage that. You figure out the right roads to take and you internalize that. And I think from there you learn how to handle those confrontations. So in this scenario, right, he couldn't have known how to handle that that confrontation with Lampwick had he not gone through the things with Honest John that he had before. So for, I, I think when you, when you look into that situation, right? He was so confident in his gut at this point. He was like, I know what I'm what I'm doing here. I know I'm right. I'm taking Pinocchio and we're getting going. And here's the facts. He's like, just look at this. <laughs> he's he's just like, he he's ready. And he and and in that, he gets a little bit mad too, right? That's kind of kind of why he gets a little bit mad. He's so set on it. But it it, it he's also willing to walk away, which I think sometimes there's a story to be learned from from men for a mentor here where it's not all on you. It is a great privilege to get to lead someone, to get to mentor someone, but their life will not be in your hands. It's not really in your hands. It's, you can impact it. And so you should take that with as much heaviness as you really can, but also you can't feel this overwhelming responsibility for their actions because they're a person with free will just like you, and they can go and do things that are really going to disappoint you. And if you live out of that disappointment, then you'll walk away from that person and you'll never support them again. But that's not what Jiminy does here, right? He doesn't walk away and not support Pinocchio because he's bought into this story. He's bought into he, he knows who Pinocchio can be, and he's going to come back again and again. Yeah, I really like the way you said that, Drew. Um, he... He believes in the goal, 
that Pinocchio can become a real boy, right? And he uses that to keep him focused. And I, I totally appreciate how he wants to get physical with people. I think it's funny, you know, a cricket, you know, wanting to get physical uh, with a giant human, you know, and um, it shows his passion in his heart, you know. Now, obviously, as a mentor, you know, you don't want to do that, but you can, uh, you can certainly, you know, um, advocate strongly for somebody, right? And you can advocate to their strongest suit uh, characteristics. And I think um, that's something that, you know, maybe Jiminy doesn't do necessarily overtly or explicitly. I think he has a more implicit advocation for Pinocchio. Just mostly it's extraction, right? Um, He's mostly in the business of extracting Pinocchio as soon as possible. And when he's doing that, um, he's just advocating as hard as he can verbally. That's, that's all he's got He's basically as a conscience, you know, personify yourself as a conscience. This is fun, right? But you can only really talk at a whisper level, right? And so you're just constantly don't do that or think about this, you know, um, and you're bringing to mind concepts that are important. You're bringing to mind, uh, the goal. Don't forget about being a real boy, right? And that's really Jiminy's role here is to continue to do that. And also you need to flee. That is very like analogous to actual human conscience. I think if you think about uh, fight or flight, we, we, you know, we all have heard that in recent years about how people can get stuck in fight or flight. Um, you know, they always say, you know, if you're being chased by a tiger, you're going to fly, right? If you think you're in danger, you may fight, depending on if you think you can win that. <laughs> um, that's not really a conscience. It's more a reflex, right? Um, but a conscience gives you this higher level thing. Now, in this case, you know, he had to kind of, you know, be guided by Jiminy to, you know, jump and exit the, the island, et cetera. So I think that was Jiminy. From the point of Lampwick on, Lampwick pushed him over the edge. The donkey thing pushed him over the edge. When he had the ears, he had the evidence. And when he had the evidence, something bigger than himself, Pinocchio took that evidence in and finally made a decision, right? Versus Pinocchio had been doing passive development for all this time, right? And he was basically just going with the flow. And that was not working for him because he took literally every exit on the highway it's like he's stuck in a roundabout and he was just going around and around and around he had a limiting belief right um the limiting belief was that he gave unqualified trust to his inner ring right he gives it immediately he gave it to anybody he was reckless with his own resources his time his commitments and he didn't know who he was giving his Talk to me about the inner ring. You just mentioned the inner ring. This is a really important concept. Yeah. I mean, this is just, you know, who are you going to give? I think of like, let's say security and stuff like that, right? Who are you going to let inside the out? The outer ring is like, you know, something that protects you, right? You're, you're basically deflecting. You're saying, that's not me. This is me. When you give trust to somebody, you are essentially, in my mind, you're tantamount to this person is me and we are connected. And you are then allowing influence. And really, when you think about careers, 
when you think about the way you live your life, you have to be careful. Are you giving influence to an honest John, right? Or are you giving influence to a Jiminy Cricket or to a, a fairy godmother, right? A fairy godmother is going to, you know, periodically come in, bring, you know, we can talk about that sometime, you know, later in this, you know, discussion. Um, and they're, they're going to come in and fix things, you know, sometimes for you. They're very rare though, right? Um, but you know, you want to give it to those people, people who have pure motivations. This is all about motivation. All this is about motivation. Honest John, motivation, terrible, terrible motivation. Stromboli, terrible motivation. Just is totally, uh, you know, self-serving, right? Um, be careful with your inner ring, right? That's what I took out of this for sure. And also, you know, consequences, right? You know, there's a lot there with that. Maybe we can talk about that in a second here um, if we have time. But you know what else? What yeah, else? You bring me to the moral with? here. Bring me to the yeah. moral. Here. I think that we're we're really we've been touching on it throughout this entire time, and I think the moral that we've come up with is really different than you would get on a first pass. I know we've probably both seen this movie a lot of times, um, and really dove in deep the last week or so thinking about it. So, what's our moral here? Yeah. So, I mean, some of us got to do with instant gratification, right? So you think about the paradise, uh, paradise Island, right? And you, you think about how uh, everybody there is really stampeding over each other to get whatever they can, whenever they can. Right. And um, this is a very short term, immediate way of thinking, way of being. And so you're thinking through that, now picture yourself there, right? And picture yourself uh, as Jiminy. And Jiminy is walking literally through this stampede, you know, hoping not to get squashed. But that's the way conscience looks, you know, in this scene. Conscience is a very small consideration uh, in this moment, right? So you've got this sea of immediate gratification. And then, you know, so, you know, Jiminy's struggling, right? He's struggling to find Pinocchio. He's struggling to connect with Pinocchio. You can't hear your conscience in moments like that. And, you know, I think the world in general, you know, you look at, you know, just how things are going. Growth is always praised. Like if you are just totally growing all the time, right? Grow, 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 grow. That is truly impossible to sustain. Um, I think we all see this, you know, economics or whatever. You, you can't you can't constantly grow. You're honestly going to wear everything out. Um, you, you, you look at cities, you know, they, they can't grow outward forever, uh, et cetera, you know? And so tell me, you know, talk to me about, you know, growth here, Drew, in this, in this situation, looking at immediate gratification and how growth, you know, kind of uh, plays into that. Yeah. So I think the high level thing that you pick up here, kind of the obvious first pass is the immediate gratification versus delayed gratification. This is a concept that is, you know, age old. I know that Seneca talks about it, probably popularized more recently. And again, we don't really get into these movements and stuff. We want to kind of with this just stay outside of any movements and terminology and stuff. But I do want to give we will give credit where credit's due. I think it's been popularized fairly heavily by Ryan Holiday and the stoic movement of the current era. Um, but the idea uh, that delayed gratification is better than instant gratification. And it's this age old issue that humans deal with. We cannot seem to sacrifice the present for the future. And 
I, I got to say, the past and the future do not exist. So you have to be careful about going to delayed gratification to the point where you delay the gratification to the point where you're dead, basically, where, <laughs> where nobody reaps the rewards of what you've done, of all of that work that you've done. So I'm not don't hear me as delay, delay, delay. But humans, there's been studies that, that show that humans really get more joy out of delaying gratification than they do of taking it in the moment. But the problem is, just like a cigarette or anything else, it's easier to take that gratification and that that sense of, you know, false security immediately than it is to make the hard decision that's going to save you later on. And that's really, you know, one of the issues at the crux of humanity is that we we struggle to make that choice. And that's one of the things that we see in Pinocchio pretty heavily is he really, as a very naive human, he never can make that choice until he grows up and he becomes a real boy. I have a few years back, I defined for myself, again, I talk about how I like my head is always trying to make sense of these concepts and put them into models and systems. And I defined being an adult as being able to more often than not delay gratification. Basically, mm. I don't care. It doesn't really matter to me about age. It's you've grown up once you've learned to delay gratification. And none of us can afford to do it all of the time. Of course, we are only human. But that's growing up. And that is actually very clearly what Pinocchio, the movie, is trying to say. I really like that. And yeah, none of those, you know, well, and I think there's a, a there's a personification of um, the wrong kind of growth, too. So, you know, so there is a polarization of growth. There can be good growth and or positive growth and there can be negative growth. If you look at the predominance of the the donkey uh, transformation, you can see, <clears throat> I think what they're trying to communicate through the story is that you know, you can do bad things and kind of, you know, go that negative way. And then these are kind of what you kind of turn into. Uh, if you spend all your time, you know, on this particular way of living, you know, maybe you are going to become that. So that's what I learned in, from that. And then so you either way, you've got a growth uh, limit that you can that you would engage in in any of this stuff. Right. Um, because if you try to grow too fast. Um, and, and Pinocchio is basically gambling. He's trying to grow faster, right? He's getting into all these like big kid things or adult things, right? Smoking cigars. Uh, you know, the, uh, the one guy was drinking a beer, he was drinking a beer, right? And it didn't really say that explicitly, but that's implied to adults. Um, you know, and he's trying to say like, in this way, I'm going to gamble and I'm going to grow fast. Well, I think that's kind of this sub narrative or this muted narrative here is that, you know, organic growth has a limit. And what we know from reality and living, right, is that the sun comes up, the sun goes down. And what do you do when the sun goes down? You rest, right? So you need to be active. You have the circadian rhythm. You you, you know, that's all built in, right, to how you exist. And uh, so uh, you have to think about how growth can't be happening constantly, how you can't be doing things without reflecting on them. Your conscience helps you reflect, right? You have to have reflection. And in true, when you, when you truly reflect uh, deeply on what has happened to you, then growth actually occurs, right? Um, if you're just doing actions. It occurs through, it, it really only occurs if you reflect. There's an awesome Shane Parrish quote that I'm gonna absolutely botch here. 
um, but where he basically says, like, you know, you can you can just keep learning the same lessons over and over again. <laughs> if you don't reflect, reflecting is what breaks the cycle of learning the same lesson over and over again. I love that. I think that is perfect. When we were talking earlier about Pinocchio's limiting belief, <clears throat> he basically it was a passive vessel for other people's actions. And so he was just allowing them to affect him, right? And he was not affecting them. He was not, uh, you know, putting out anything. He was mostly just pulling it in. And I think that was his, that was his limiting belief. And I think that's exactly on with what you just said. Um, and that held him back. He continued in that cycle until finally it was broken and he realized that the actions had gone too far, that the passivity had gone too far. And he is becoming a vessel and he's becoming like them, right? He's being transformed into their image, which is not good, right? He knows that now when he saw it in himself and hurt himself when he's doing the donkey thing, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and and so that's really, we talked about character before and I think that's where everything culminates, right? Your growth is, is towards a character, that character, is shaped in you and then outpours into the world whether you like it or not you you cannot live without influencing others definitely not in 2021 so you to develop that character you, we must understand that organic growth happens at a certain rate on average that average doesn't necessarily you know it's not like just think about like the, you know, the rate of return on investments, right? You don't get the, you know, you average getting 7% or whatever, but you don't get 7% every year. Some years you're going to get, you know, negative returns and other years you're going to get 40% returns. And that's, you know, at least that's in my lifetime been about how the markets work. But at, so you have these, these cycles and you want to spiral upwards, right? So you have these loops and you want to make sure that while you are going to have, you know, off periods, uh, you're going to have reflection periods where there's less growth. You're going to even have mistakes and stuff like that along the way. You want to make sure that the overall trajectory is going upwards. And I think it's really important to understand that you're not going to have many high growth situations in your life. Pinocchio does have a very high growth situation in this movie. And most movies generally with the dynamic character in the movie will have that high growth situation within the movie because it's interesting for the audience and we can really invest in that. But for us as humans, we're maybe going to get five or 10 high growth moments in our life. So, you know, you might get one a decade. That's about it. So you need to cherish those high growth moments, but not wish that they happened all the time and wish that, you know, you could make you could switch fields and become an expert in this and, and so fulfilling for you. And it feels like you were meant to do this your whole life, but you're only going to get to do that so many times. You're only going to get to have kids and, and grow up to see them follow in your footsteps and be proud of that. You know, you, you only get the the you only pull the veil back once. And then after that, it's not a novel thought. It's not a novel experience for you anymore. And so it's not going to provide the level of growth that it did the first time. So with this growth kind of organic growth that you're going to go on in your journey, you just need to be careful to always, we all need to be careful to always kind of not temper your expectations, but never to expect too much growth, always to push hard and to be motivated, but just not to overexert yourself to expect too much or to expect that you can, you know, you can grow too fast using some kind of a cheat code. If it seems too good to be true, it's too good to be true. Wow, you really nailed that. 
I really like that. I think you've thought, uh, well, I, I know you, so I, I know you've thought a lot about that. And I, um, I really appreciate the way that you, uh, you put that together. Um, I think that seeing yourself as an upward, upward spiral is not only inspiring, right? Um, but it's also aspiring. And uh, it really helps us to orient ourselves and realize that during growth, you're going to experience pain, right? You're going to have rips and tears. And that's what rest is for. Rest and reflection go together, right? And when you are, when you're kind of, let's think about uh, weightlifting, right? You, you're ripping muscles, right? And they grow back bigger. It's no different than your character development, right? You've got to see what is working and be honest and objective about the way that others see you. That is a, a total key uh, in so many ways, right? And just being able to be honest with yourself. Pinocchio lied. Pinocchio's nose grew, right? But when he was finally honest with himself, and I can take you to a specific moment on the ship in the belly of Monstro, right? He had the ears and he said, hey, I've got ears, you know? And we all have some sort of ears, right? From when we've messed up, right? And when we have uh, just missed the boat on some opportunity to grow in our lives. We have to remember that you don't wear that as a badge of shame. Take what you can from that, reframe it, right? And use that to turn you into a better leader. Because in the other way you do it is going to make you weaker, you know, as a leader, because you're going to be like, I can't believe I did that. You know what? You're probably the only one saying, uh, how, what can I learn from this? Or one of the few. And I think that's where you want to be. You want to be one of the few, you know, and not just kids. It's, it's basically not natural to want to do that. So you got this growth cycle. You got, yeah. you have to accept the upwards loop, the upward sloping, you know, series of spirals growth cycle. And as an aspiring leader, you have to accept it in yourself where you see it and you have to accept it in others. I know many people, myself included, who have been very disappointed when they have seen growth stagnate or, the, you know, the spiral starts to go down instead of up. And it's important to remember that that person that you're you're really trying to lead, that person that you're trying to help develop, that you're working with, et cetera, that they need to go through those painful spirals the same way you do. I mean, I can just give so many examples of working with uh, working with homeless people. Right. You have these really you have these really positive upward sloping, you know, you're going up, you're going up, you're going up and there's a relapse and you go back down. But it's not the end. You can't give up there. That's when Jiminy comes back again and again. And eventually you see Pinocchio succeeds and Jiminy isn't even Jiminy supporting him, but he isn't even there. He doesn't provide the ideas or anything like that. Pinocchio succeeds on his own. So you will see that moment of redemption, that moment of success if you are willing to put in the work and to go back again and again and be consistent as a leader. Thank you, Drew. That that was awesome. Um, really good stuff today. And we told you at the beginning that there was some good stuff in this movie and this this, this story, this narrative. Um, it's very impactful if you just dig into it a little bit. So I think we're uh, going to cut it off right there. Um, with, we're coming back next week with Interstellar. Oh man, I am so pumped for Interstellar. That is one of my favorites. So, all right, we'll see you next time. Bye.